Straight out of Scotland, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of Edinburgh. In case you're wondering, you are a conscious being. Have you ever asked what exactly is consciousness? And which particular things in the universe are conscious? Perhaps you think only souls can be conscious, or maybe you think material objects can be conscious as well. Whatever view you take, you need to ask where does consciousness come from? In today's episode, I sit down with Ben Page to discuss a family of arguments for the existence of God based on the existence of consciousness. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Well, ready or not, here's Ben and I talking about consciousness and the existence of God. Enjoy. Alright, so Ben, I'm doing a series of episodes on consciousness with scientists and philosophers. So let's just start with how you understand consciousness. Just what do you think consciousness is? Yeah, that's a really good question. One that I'm not sure I have a very good answer to. <laughs> Fair so enough. I think different philosophers think about consciousness in different ways. Some Sometimes people think the most fundamental feature of it is a phenomenal aspect, whilst other people seem to think it's uh, intentionality. Uh, the aboutness of conscious states. Um, I'm probably more in the first camp than I am in the second, but I think intentionality is probably also a feature of consciousness. Um, if that's kind of what you mean, mm-hmm. I guess the other question you could be asking about consciousness is like, should we be dualist about consciousness? Should we be materialist about consciousness? Or right. should we be panpsychist about consciousness? Mm-hmm. Because I think depending on those views, you might have slightly different opinions as to what the nature of consciousness is. Right. Um, but again, I'm I'm not sure what to say about a lot of that stuff. Sure. Um, I think it's still an open question, but I'm happy to sort of play around with the theories that different philosophers put out there and see what they do. Okay, so if I've got phenomenal consciousness, that's what it's like to have exactly. certain experiences. Yeah. Whereas intentional, that means it's about something. So I have beliefs about things or I have emotions about things. Right. So those are the kind of consciousness that a lot of philosophers are playing around with. These two different kinds. Exactly. Okay. Now, so so some people, though, they they try to figure out where does consciousness come from? That's one of the big questions that a lot of philosophers are working on. And I find this interesting because there's a family of arguments for the existence of God uh, from consciousness. And so you've been working on an argument from consciousness to the existence of God. So how do people typically lay out this sort of argument? Typically, people who like this argument are dualists. Mm -hmm. And they normally argue for their favorite version of dualism. Uh, whether that be some sort of hylomorphic view or some sort of Cartesian view. And then they say, look, we've got these mental dualistic events and they seem to interact with our brain events and they interact very regularly and in like a specific way. And then they ask, what's the best explanation for this? And typically when they go through a list of things, they they end up by saying, look, God's the best explanation of this. Mm -hmm. And that's how the argument generally runs. Uh, The type of version of argument from consciousness that I like is quite different from Mm -hmm. this. I think that this version is interesting, but it's interesting only normally if you're a dualist. Okay. And dualism is very contentious these days in philosophy. So I like to get everyone on board if I can. And so I want to run an argument where I can sort of speak to people who are interested in materialistic views, dualist views, and panpsychist views. And also, that's, these are views that Christians hold. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just a 
a non-theistic type views. Right. Um, and so that's how I, I would... Well, that's how we should think about the That's how you think we should do it. I guess that is right. So if so, the first version you laid out, right, it just focuses on, well, if you're already attracted to substance dualism or some kind of thing like that, yeah. well, then you'll buy into this sort of argument for the existence of God. Yeah. But you're saying, well, there's a lot of different options in philosophy of mind. Yeah. What if I gave you an argument that works on all of these different options? Yeah, and I don't want to say the first argument's bad. Right. It could be really good. And if you like dualism, maybe it's an argument for you. But mm-hmm. this is kind of to be... More open-handed for those who don't like dualism. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into that argument then. So how do you how do you set up this sort of argument? Yeah, good. So this argument, I guess, if, if people, if your listeners know about fine-tuning arguments, you could think that this argument is kind of based on how fine-tuning arguments these days like to go. And often uh, fine-tuning arguments that are put forward are based on sort of probability theory. How likely are certain things on mm-hmm. theism? How likely are certain things on atheism? Okay. And I want to ask the same question, but to do with consciousness. So I want to ask, look, how likely is consciousness on theism in these three different forms? Mm-hmm. Uh, the dualist, the materialist, and the panpsychist. And then I want to ask the same question on atheism. How likely is it on atheism? And my claim is going to be that on in any of these forms, it's more likely on theism than it is on atheism. Okay. And given that normally, often people who like probabilistic reasoning, they think that something's evidence for something if it raises the probability of that thing. Right, okay. So because this is going to raise the probability of theism, once we find there's consciousness in the world, because it's more likely on theism, mm-hmm. it's evidence for theism. Yeah. And so that's how the argument is gonna go okay so if i spell it out in a bit more detail i guess yeah so we start off by saying look consciousness i think is more likely on theism than there being no consciousness on theism mm-hmm. and a good question you would ask me is like why do you think that? right exactly okay so i guess i think that for a few reasons so one reason is that you might think that god as a perfect being is perfectly loving or mm-hmm. perfectly good And you might think love involves some sort of being a relational being. And so it seems like in order to have a a decent relationship, the being that you need to be in relationship with needs to be conscious. Um, We often think even if you have relationships with dogs and cats, like Mm -hmm. they're conscious beings. And it seems a bit weird, although I used to, so I'm a big tennis fan, Mm -hmm. and I used to love my tennis rackets, and sometimes they would uh, sit in my bed with me. Yeah, yeah. And that's a bit weird, like, I can't have a proper relationship with my non-conscious tennis racket. Sure. So that's one reason you might think God is, like, interested in love and relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. There's also been views put across where God's goodness is kind of self-diffusive. Right. So God's this really good being, and because of that goodness being self-diffusive, he's going to create. Now, that doesn't get you to consciousness, but it gets you to God creating something. Yeah. And typically, theists also think that God will only create things if they reach almost like a certain goodness threshold. Mm Mm-hmm. If it's too low on the threshold, God's not going to create right. that. But anything that reaches above the threshold, God's going to create. And I think consciousness likely brings a lot of goods with it. Mm-hmm. So I think it brings moral goods with it. Some people have argued it brings things like freedom, rationality, all these other things. And I think God's going to be... I think we've got fairly decent, I guess, thoughts to think that God is interested in these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I want to make sure I'm following along. Yeah. So to, to set up the argument, you're saying, well, look... Anybody who's going to reflect on the nature of God, one way of going about doing that is sort of well, what it would be like for a perfect being to, to be whatever it is. Exactly. And typically we say things like all loving or all knowing mm-hmm. and all of that is 
very wrapped up with a being conscious, yep. right? So you can't have God without... If God's not conscious, then God's not going to be all-knowing or all-loving. Yep. So we've kind of got consciousness at the heart of reality on theism. Yep. And then you're saying, well, now let's think about what kind of stuff that being would create. Exactly. Well, if he's perfectly good or perfectly loving, he's going to want to create really good and loving stuff. Yep. What are some really valuable, good things? More conscious stuff. Yep. Okay. Or more conscious stuff at least brings, it might bring in things that then have value. Mm-hmm. So as I said, it might give, it might be that we can't have, uh, act morally unless we're conscious. Right. Or we can't act freely or we can't be in relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And if God's really interested in a relationship with us, that's going to be a, a reason why he creates it. Okay. So now, there's even more good things that I get from creating conscious things. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now I should say that this area, if for your listeners mm-hmm. who I know, some are academics, right. is an area where not much discussion has actually been had mm-hmm. as to why God creates certain stuff. Right. And there's a, uh, a philosopher called Neil Manson who's written a number of papers being like, come on, philosophers, tell me, why does God want to create all these different things? Yeah. So it is an area that is kind of speculative at the moment mm-hmm. um, and more work should be done, but they're the sort of doors that I would push. Yeah. But as I said at the start, I don't think it's certain that God will create consciousness. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I think that is because, at least in the Christian tradition, it's uh, traditional for God to be perfectly free. Right. And we're happy to say, look, God didn't need to create anything Mm -hmm. at all, and he can exist on his own. And and so there's one reason why consciousness isn't kind of like required. All oh, right, so God. it's not necessary. Exactly. So if God exists, it's not necessary that he create a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. On this more traditional understanding of God. And maybe there are other worlds which I think there'd be few of these worlds, but maybe there are other worlds which reach this threshold of mm-hmm. goodness which God needs to sort of hit in order to create. Yeah. That don't require consciousness either. Mm-hmm. As I said, I I think that's going to be there's going to be few of those worlds mm-hmm. because I think the re- requiredness is going to have things like moral value and all the rest of it. Okay. But that's another reason. And then when I think about atheism, I'm going to kind of do this one really quickly for the moment mm-hmm. before we get into the more detailed argument. Yeah. I think like one reason to think that it's far less likely or, or less likely on atheism is kind of because you don't have this being who's after all these conscious creatures. Okay, yeah. Um, and so whereas on the theistic side, you've got something kind of aiming at it. On the atheistic side, you, you don't. But I don't think it's all that improbable on atheist type views either mm-hmm. on this way of thinking about the argument. Because it could be that there are some atheistic worlds in which the laws make it really easy mm-hmm. for consciousness to come about. Okay. As soon as there's certain stuff in the world, the laws just like manipulate it in a certain way mm-hmm. and poof, we get consciousness. Right. And since I think that's a possibility, um, I have to say that the atheists have a, I don't think it's, I don't think it makes it as likely as on the theistic mm-hmm. side, but it doesn't make it super unlikely. Okay, so to make sure I'm getting this argument right, so this sort of the way this argument's set up is saying again, if God exists, the existence of consciousness is more likely than it would be if God did not exist. But when I look at the atheist account here, you're not saying it's it's not impossible for consciousness to exist. Right. There is a story you can tell, yep. but it's less likely than a theistic story. Yeah, I, okay. I say it's less likely, and one of the reasons I don't think it's not that unlikely is mm-hmm. because there could be different worlds where right. there's different laws and consciousness comes up really mm-hmm. quickly. 
And as I said, I think this holds for all the different types of consciousness. Right. So for dualistic type views, materialistic type views, and panpsychist type views. All right. So that's that's one way to kind of understand how this argument goes. But you think there's some more details, a way to make it more sophisticated. How does that look? So I think the argument could be made better if we include into our into our thinking about it the laws of nature in our world. Mm-hmm. So this time we're thinking about, look, given our laws of nature, on theism, how likely is consciousness? And we're asking the same question on atheism. So given our laws of nature, how likely is, athe- uh, how likely is consciousness on atheism? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think... At, at the start, I'm going to kind of say, look, it's the adding the laws of nature is not helping anyone. I kind of think here I'm being generous to the atheists. Okay. Because often a lot of fine-tuning arguments are going to say, look, the laws of nature and the constants, which are often included in that, mm-hmm. point towards theism strongly. Right. Um, and for the purpose of this, I just want to say, look, it doesn't add weight either way. Let's oh, just okay. say it's middling, because the thing that I'm still interested in is just the consciousness. Right. What, does, what happens to the consciousness here? Now, this time I think it's more likely that God creates consciousness on this type of view. So the probability space of God not creating consciousness is a lot smaller. And the reason I think that is because the probability I gave before to God not creating anything at all, Mm -hmm. I think is pretty much reduced to zero. And I think that's because on pretty much all views of laws of nature, God has to create something. Mm -hmm. It's only on platonic type views where God doesn't have to create something. And generally theists don't like those type of views because of worries with God's other attributes like aseity. But I'm happy to give it some epistemic probability. So I leave it in. And also, I, just like before, I think that maybe there are ways that God can get enough goodness out of creating non-consciousness. Mm-hmm. So I think where the real damage, if you like, happens is on the atheistic side. So whereas before I said to you, look, one of the reasons I don't think it's all that unlikely that there's consciousness on atheism mm-hmm. is because we could have all these different laws in the world. Right. And the different laws make it really likely that consciousness comes about. Yeah. And now we don't have those. Oh, now we okay. just have our laws of nature, yeah, and and I think our laws of nature make it seem unlikely that consciousness comes about. Okay, and one of the reasons that I think that is just for empirical reasons and for things that other atheist philosophers of mind people say, mm-hmm. like Colin McGinn, he's wondering like, is it even possible that we get consciousness on sort of our laws of nature? Mm-hmm. He thinks it's it's really weird and strange that we do, and obviously he thinks. Well, it is possible because we've got them. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm not interested in the possibility question. I'm interested in the probability question. I'm interested in, look, how likely is it on these two different views Mm -hmm. that we get consciousness? So if we've got laws of nature like we have in this universe, how likely is it we're going to get consciousness coming from it? Exactly. On a theistic view Mm -hmm. and on an atheistic view. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've said it's fairly likely on the theistic view and... You can then think about each type of view of consciousness, like individually. Mm-hmm. So I'm grouping them together as materialist views, dualist views, panpsychist views. And one of the things the theist could do is think about, is it unlikely that God creates one of these type of consciousness? Mm-hmm. Or is it equally likely that he creates any of these types of consciousness? Mm. Um, because suppose it's really unlikely God creates materialist type consciousness then the probability of God doing that is going to be low. And so if the probability on the atheist side is roughly the same, it's not going to give a boost. Okay. Now, I happen to think it's none of the views are going to be 
that low. Oh, on, th- on theism. On theism. Okay. So I think, yeah, maybe God create materialistic type of consciousness. Maybe some of these views on how God gets resurrection on that type mm-hmm. of view work. And I say similar things for all the other types of views. Right. But again, that's an area, because this argument is new, if you like, yeah. and hasn't been explored, it's an area for people to, to go away and think about. Okay. So that's one side. So then let's turn more to the atheist side, because right. that's where a lot of the work is going to go. Yeah. So on materialist type views of consciousness, which says kind of like that consciousness is material, mm-hmm. like in some way there are conscious properties, but they're material properties. So somehow my conscious states are physical states. Exactly. And I'm happy to just say for the purpose of this argument, let's run with that. Let's cool. say that's that's possible. So just um, go ahead and give it to the atheist and say exactly. this is possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, the, and the theist who right. likes that type of view. Right, exactly. Um, what are the different ways that consciousness kind of comes up on this type of view? So there's there's different options. One way you could say is kind of like Simon Conway Morris has this thought about evolutionary convergence. So evolution is structured in such a way that things always converge. So we get eyes coming out of multiple different lines of evolutionary mm. uh, type theory. And maybe you could adapt that type of view to to consciousness. So the atheist can just say, look, there's this consciousness convergence that goes on and evolution kind of gets us there. I want to say to that kind of convergence is, is somewhat um, disputed, let's right. say, in the yeah. biological realm. Yeah. And so adding it into a theory where consciousness is there, kind of doing something that it wasn't originally designed to do is probably going to make it even more skeptical. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seems a bit like you're saying there's this hidden law of nature that we're not sort of aware of, which is kind of doing this directing. Oh, it's like forcing the direction of exactly. evolution. Okay. And I'm not the biggest fan of postulating hidden laws. Sure. <laughs> and I think atheists generally shouldn't be either because yeah. it gives Christians and other theists easy get-outs when you think about things like resurrection cases. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe there's this hidden law right. that meant that Jesus would raise from the dead on exact time and exact day that he did, right. but the law doesn't do anything else. Yeah. And I think the atheist should say, no, 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 that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I want to say something similar on the other side. So that's one way that you could go. Another way you could say is something like, so again, on the materialist view, conscious beings are just selected for, just like on a typical evolutionary story. And here I want to reply and say, yeah, maybe. Again, on on all of these views, I'm going to give it some probability, but just not loads. Mm -hmm. So I want to say maybe, but why think conscious beings should be selected over zombies or beings that just perform computation? Oh, right. So explain the zombies a little bit more here. So zombies are things that have... Uh, well, they have a lot of behavior exactly like mine, but they don't have any sort of phenomenal consciousness. They don't have anything that it's like to be a zombie. Exactly. So whatever the conscious thing is, they don't have that. Yeah. But they have everything else that's not the conscious thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, computation kind of you could think of similarly. So a computer, I guess most people want to say like it can perform all these really complex functions. Right but it's not necessarily conscious of them or yeah. it's, it's not conscious. So on the on the selection forefront, one of the things that normally you need is some benefit in order to be selected for. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there is a benefit of being conscious over being a zombie or over being just computing really well. Oh, in terms of like an evolutionary benefit? In, in terms of an evolutionary benefit. And you might even think sometimes it's worse, like 
because sometimes like phenomenal pain mm -hmm. that if I'm in serious pain, the pain can cause me to like uh, faint or crash out. Right. And maybe I'm more likely to get eaten if that happens. Whereas if I'm a zombie and I don't feel anything, then I might be running around without a limb, mm -hmm. but I'm still running around and maybe I can escape my evader for longer right. or something. And they can and still pass reproduce on quickly exactly, yes. before I die. Yeah. So in order to actually like pass on my genes, which is a, a one of the things you have to do with evolution. Yep. Why, why would I need any of this consciousness stuff? That, yeah. that could really hinder me in terms of passing on my genes. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, the, and the other thing is selection often is selection. Selection occurs after the trait exists. Right. So one of the things that you can say is, look, here we're after like the initial time this trait, which is consciousness, comes to be. Mm -hmm. But not after like, why does it continue to thrive? And it's continuing because uh -huh. it's useful. Yeah. But here we're saying, look, how does it come to be in the first place? Right. Okay, so the final way that you might go is to say, or at least the way that I'm thinking about it, I'm sure there's more options. There might be, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Is you could say it's an evolutionary spandrel. And a spandrel is basically like, it's an outcome of an evolutionary evolution, I guess, mm -hmm. that uh, is unintended but mm -hmm. useful. Ah, right, okay. And so you could say, look, consciousness was never intended, but all these other things happened and like... Hey, presto, we got consciousness as well. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's really... You would be really surprised to learn something like that. Yeah. And given that these types of arguments, the probabilistic arguments, often rely on the probabilities you epistemically will give to things, mm -hmm. and often sometimes they're going to be based on your surprise and other things like that, that's going to lower the probability. So I just think, given what spandrels are like, or the spandrels we've we've come across in the world mm -hmm. this seems to be a really sort of it's a big deal spandrel right consciousness is a it would be a massive yeah, one. Yeah, yeah yeah so i think that about all these these are the types of ways that i think atheists could uh think about how materialist consciousness comes about mm -hmm. one of the things that i think is interesting is when i start to change some of these views to theistic views mm -hmm. they don't seem all that that improbable to me okay. they seemed fairly improbable to me on the atheist type story but thinking that God's created some sort of evolutionary convergence, some sort of directedness into things to bring mm -hmm. about consciousness, that doesn't seem so uh, crazy to me. Right. Thinking that he's sort of made evolution select for something like this, again, mm -hmm. that doesn't seem so crazy. Right. And maybe even the spandrel thing, I might think, why would you do it that way? Yeah. But it seems like... That's not super crazy. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is because I've got this idea of God in the background who is after this stuff. Right. And so he's that's the reason why he's he's sort of intended to bring it back that way. Right. So I could, cause I could have a couple different models of God here at play. Mm. I could have one where God actually knows the future. Yeah. And so God selects a universe that he knows is going to get consciousness out of it. One yep. way he could do that is, we'll make sure I set up a universe where the evolutionary process does really go this particular direction. Yeah. Another sort of way you could say God doesn't know the future, but he has some really good predictions about how things could go. So yep. he sets up the initial states knowing that this raises the probability. I'm going to get a weird spandrel of consciousness out yep. of it. So, these, so you could have this on a lot of different models of God. Yeah. Yeah. And I just need it to be the case, as I think it is the case, that consciousness without God being there, mm -hmm. like on these different stories, right. these different stories are unlikely in the way they bring about consciousness. Mm -hmm. So that's the materialist type view. Right. So, so then we move kind of to the dualist type yes, view. Yes, tell me how this goes. So on the dualist view, I'm thinking about like substance dualism or property dualism. And so dualism basically says, look, the conscious mind or the consciousness 
is of a different type of property to the material stuff. So it can't be identical to the physical stuff. Exactly. And typically, because, so theists could say, and atheists could say, that the non-material mind stuff Mm -hmm. and the material stuff sort of existed all at the same time from the beginning of time. Okay. And carried on existing. And then somehow they were connected up. But but I'm going to rule this out as an option because typically atheists want to say uh, that the world started kind of in the Big Bang and everything was physical. Sure. And then it's kind of like, the question is, how does this dualist stuff arise? Right. It's not like it's always been there. And so the way that most people go is by like thinking about something called strong emergence. Mm-hmm. So you get this physical stuff together. It sort of interacts in this really special and funny way. Mm -hmm. And hey presto, you get this brand new sort of qualitative type property or thing, which in our case is going to be consciousness. And so that's the way that the atheist story is going to... That's the that's the way I'm going to think about the story going. Mm -hmm. And then the question for us is like, how likely is this? Right. And I'm going to say, I don't think it's that likely. Again, I don't think it's impossible, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be less likely than on theism. And one of the reasons I think this is because strong emergence people generally think that a fairly high level of complexity has to be reached in order for strong emergence to come about. Right, okay. And getting this high level of complexity is no easy to, no easy thing. Right. Like, we've tried to kind of make artificial minds and mm-hmm. stuff like this, and we're fairly sophisticated. We've tried for a while. Um, we don't seem to be getting anywhere particularly close with it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's just going to be really unlikely that through some sort of random process, it hits upon this this right connection or this right set of things in order to get this strong emergence mm, okay. lot of consciousness. I mean, the other way that someone can respond is just by saying there's loads of people who think strong strong emergence is just crazy stuff. Right. They think it's like magic. Yeah. And you could say, look, there's no way it happened like this. Uh-huh. And then you'd have to come up with some other story right. as to how it happened. And we could assess, like, do we think that's likely or not? Mm-hmm. But strong emergence, as I say, is the way that I think most people go. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the view. And notice that like, if, if God steps into the picture, strong emergence doesn't get any less magical right. because it's still like kind of something's coming from nothing. Yeah. But you might think that it makes it, again, a bit more probable because God knows exactly what configurations these particles need to be in oh, in right. order okay. for like, this strong emerging consciousness to sort of arise. Yeah. Okay, so... So hang on, I want to make sure I'm getting yeah, this one yeah, right. Yeah. So on this emergence account, okay, so it's you might say it's really weird that things just emerge out of... Uh, this consciousness emerges out of just this plethora of like material things just bumping around in the void. Yeah. But atheists and theists both are going to have to say, yeah, super weird. Don't know uh, what to tell you. It's just odd. But if you've got God in the picture, you can say, yeah, it still kind of feels a bit magical, but I can have an explanation for why I should expect it to pop up. Whereas on atheism, I I don't quite have the same explanation. Yeah, or you just might think it's more probable. Mm -hmm. So you might think, look, it's more probable that that God could get consciousness this way. Yes. Because he knows how to do it. He kind of has the manual inside of his head. Look, if I put these bits together. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the atheist view, you've got to kind of... You don't have that. Right. You've got the... You need to work out the random configuration to Mm -hmm. get it. And that seems like a really difficult task. 
I'm not, again, I'm not, I don't want to say it's impossible. Mm-hmm. I just want to say that it's a lot less likely. Right. And that's all I need for the arguments to kind of work. Right. Okay. Because you're getting just trying to say, God, these things should be expected or more likely if God exists. Exactly. Yeah. It's more likely on theism. Mm-hmm. So therefore it's evidence for theism. Right. Okay. Um, and how strong evidence you think it is, is going to depend on how much more likely you think it is. Right. So we come to the final view. Right. Which is panpsychism. Okay. So tell me about this. Um, panpsychism basically says, look, that everything, if you like, has a mental and a physical aspect. Mm-hmm. And so you might think consciousness is really easy. On panpsychism, because like, doesn't everything have right? Consciousness? Everything's got this weird little bit of consciousness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so there are two ways that I think you can go on this. So the first thing you could say is something like you could ask, how likely is it that we have panpsychist stuff in the world? Okay. So it seems like panpsychists that I've spoken to don't think that the panpsychist sort of world is necessary. Mm-hmm. They think that we've just. We're kind of lucky to have it. We just hit the jackpot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they also don't think the laws kind of determine the panpsychist stuff to be there. Oh, it's okay. kind of like the panpsychist stuff is there. The mm-hmm. laws aren't making it panpsychist stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we could say, look, how likely is it that we get it? Given the different types of stuff, I have the intuition at least, there are more types of non-panpsychist stuff than there are panpsychist types of stuff. It, that yeah, I find myself with the same intuition, yeah. And so it seems like more likely, or more likely that you'd have non-panpsychist stuff. So more likely you'd find a universe with non-panpsychist stuff than a universe just filled with all these little panpsychist yeah, bits yeah, of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and that on atheism. Yeah. Now, you might think on theism, panpsychist stuff's really likely. Because mm-hmm. if God, if some of the reasons I've given you before about why God kind of is after consciousness, right. maybe God goes like wild and he's like, I'm going to make everything conscious. Right, okay. Um, so maybe it's fairly likely on theism. The other, the other way you could go on panpsychism is you could say, actually, I'm going to change the argument slightly again. Mm. The thing that I'm after is not consciousness. It's like a specific type of consciousness. Okay. So I'm not after micro-consciousness, mm-hmm. which everything has in the panpsychist world. I'm after macro-consciousness because mm-hmm. that's the thing that matters. And macro-consciousness is like my consciousness, a dog's consciousness, mm-hmm. sort of normal consciousness right. as we normally think about it. Yeah. And on that type of view, you, you come up with uh, the problem of how do we go from micro to macro consciousness? Yeah, this is a massive problem. Yeah. Exactly. And often people, again, they appeal to like emergence mm-hmm. on this type of view, strong emergence, which is quite funny because lots of panpsychists go panpsychism in order to get away from strong emergence right, exactly. and end up with it. But be that as it may, basically, you can say similar things to what you said to the what I said to the previous stuff mm, mm-hmm. about dualism. So you're going to say, look, the strong emergence, we need to reach this specific level of complexity. That seems really difficult to do. Yeah. That seems fairly unlikely on atheistic type views. But on theistic type views, it doesn't seem all that likely. And so at the end of the day, you end up with a, a view where consciousness, at least given what I've said, mm-hmm. if it's right, is a lot more likely on theism in any of the forms mm-hmm. than it is on atheism. And I should say right now that I I don't want to say, if we were to take each of the forms individually, mm-hmm. it might be that a materialist type consciousness is a bit more likely on atheist, atheism than a dualistic type consciousness is on atheism. Mm-hmm. And so the materialist consciousness, if we find out the world's materialistic, right. like is going to do less to boost 
our evidence for God's existence okay. than if it was dualist. Okay. Because the dualist stuff is just super unlikely on atheism. Mm-hmm. So I want to say, yeah, they could vary. Right. Maybe the probabilistic strength, the mm-hmm. boost it gives to theism. So on the three stories of, of what consciousness is, yep. those could each vary in terms of the kind of evidence they could give for the existence of God. Exactly. And that's that's fine with the way you set up that's, the argument. And that's fine with me. I, mm-hmm. I think that's probably, probably right. But I want to say on each of those three family of views, the mm-hmm. materialist, the dualist, the panpsychist, that theism comes out on top. Right. Okay. And really the work for people to do in the future is to... I've kind of looked at them as families of views, mm-hmm. but really we need to start to then in the future look at more specific views. So right. what does this specific view say? Does it make it far more likely or mm-hmm. not um, to tighten up the argument more? But that's how okay. the argument would generally go. So, okay, so you're thinking in terms of there's different kinds of physicalist uh, or materialist stories, there's different kind of dualist stories, and yep. panpsychists, there's several different versions of panpsychism. So if we really start getting into the nitty-gritty details of each yep. of those views, then we can start developing more sophisticated versions of this argument from yep. consciousness to the existence of God. And we might find reasons to think, look, it's even less likely on atheistic mm-hmm. type views. We might find reasons to think it's more likely. Mm-hmm. Um it's kind of a open playing field at the right. moment. Okay, and so um, you just want to open it up and be like, all right, guys, yeah, let's yeah. actually work on this. But this is how the kind of big picture story yeah. is going to go for the argument, yeah. if the argument works. Right. So that's, that raises my next question here, though. So at this point, I'm, I would imagine not everybody's going to be super happy with this argument you've laid out. Right. What are some objections you might face? Yeah, so some objections people might say is something like, suppose we start with are theism and atheism, and we're thinking, how likely is theism and atheism in general? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things people might say is, look, theism's really unlikely to begin with. Oh, okay. And so um, the argument doesn't really help you out there. Oh, because the prior probability of the existence of God is so low. Exactly. Whatever boost I might get from yep. your argument from consciousness, yep. it's still gonna, it still makes God super unlikely. Yeah. Okay. And the thing I want to say to that is, I'm kind of okay with that Mm -hmm. like what the argument is trying to show is that consciousness is uh evidence for theism it's not trying to show that theism is true right and so it could be that consciousness is still really good evidence for theism because it makes theism more probable Mm -hmm. compared to when we didn't have this consciousness stuff Mm -hmm. um than when we when we didn't have this consciousness stuff right (laughs) uh so i think the i think that we shouldn't worry about that. We yeah. should just think, look, getting evidence for theism is not that difficult, mm-hmm. even if you don't think that theism overall wins. So that's that's the first type of argument that someone might push back. Okay. Another thing people might say is kind of like, you can't make these probabilistic judgments. Oh, sure. Okay. Because um, sometimes I feel this way when people start running their Bayesian calculus. I'm like, how are you assigning values to these things? Right. I can't assign values to my own beliefs. How are you doing this? Yeah. Okay. So... so I try not to assign values. Yeah. I like to do these types of arguments visually more because mm-hmm. I think the visual things help us to make it a bit less specific in terms of values. Okay. And Bayesians generally think the values are only kind of illustrative sure, rather okay. than actual. But yeah, some people might think, look, you can't assign any values. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I think that's going to be a disagreement between us. Right. Okay. I think that there are going to be some type of values. I think that some of the arguments that I've tried to give are fairly general about what God would do. They've mm-hmm. been based on like big picture things rather exactly. than very small type of look. He's really likely to do this tiny little mm-hmm. thing. Um, whereas I've tried to base it more on like love or goodness right. and things like that. 
Um, and I also think that a lot of philosophy of religion would kind of go down the toilet if we didn't do this. So mm-hmm. evidential problems of evil, right. generally they rely on us being able to say, look, it's likely that God would do this or it's really unlikely he would mm-hmm. allow this much evil. And if you kind of, you need to allow some probabilistic stuff going on there. Right. And if you can allow it going on there, then I would like to allow a bit going on here. Okay, so I want to see if I can kind of understand the sort of dialectic here. So if I wanted to say, look, Ben, like, you just cannot assign values or do this sort of probability calculus. Yeah. That's just nuts. That's crazy. And yeah. you and you can't do it in general, so you certainly can't do it to give me an argument for the existence of God. Yeah. Well, then you can be like, well, look, there's lots of arguments against the existence of God that a lot of people really seem to buy. Like, yeah. that evil shouldn't be there if there's a God. Uh, well, why? Well, because that, that evil would just it would be unlikely that God would you know, be like, well, hang on, you're engaging in some probability stuff here right now. Exactly. Yeah, so you can't really run these atheistic arguments. Yeah. If you want to get rid of probability all, all across and, the board. And the probabilistic arguments are often... the People people don't like them when they're aimed at theism. When they're done on in other areas, people are okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you could kind of think that that type of response is like the skeptical theist response. Mm, okay. So the skeptical theist says, look, you, you can't assign any probabilities here. Mm-hmm. And so another pushback you could have against my type of argument mm-hmm. is like skeptical theism... You, you don't have that in your arsenal now. Right. To kind of answer the problem of evil. Okay. And so one thing that you could say to that is kind of like, so much the worse for skeptical theism. Sure. I was never a big fan of it anyway. Mm-hmm. But you might equally say there are, again, this is an area I think that needs more exploration. There are different types of skeptical theism. Mm-hmm. And some types of skeptical theism seem to be more, let's say they allow some probabilistic types of judgments right. in certain areas. Yeah. Whereas others seem to not allow them in any areas to do with God. Mm-hmm. And again, that's something that I think that more investigation needs to go on mm-hmm. um, because probabilistic arguments are, are fairly widespread in thinking about God's existence. Mm-hmm. And so how that mirrors with problem of evil type discussions would be good. Right. So there's one other objection that I kind of thought of along the way when you're discussing emergence. And so one of the things you brought up was, well, look, it's, we just can't get, the, it seems magical mm-hmm. that this emergence stuff just kind of pops into existence. Yeah. Well, I, I started thinking a bit about this. So there's people who are working on artificial intelligence and they're trying to figure out how to get machines to learn. And some of these people really think they are getting some kind of consciousness out of it. Right. Well, it seems like there, one story you might say is like, well, look, uh, I can kind of tinker with things in the world and eventually get consciousness out of it. Yep. Uh, so maybe it's not quite as improbable if I can, if because I'm not that smart, right? Yep. But I can figure out how to kind of get some mm-hmm. consciousness out of some machines. Yep. So maybe it's really not that difficult yep. for it to just kind of emerge out of the universe. Right. So this kind of relates to one of the big objections that I think people mm-hmm. will put forward, which is kind of, it's a God of the gaps type argument. Ah, okay, yeah. So the idea is, look, we'll do some more empirical investigation. Mm-hmm. So like these AI people, right. we'll find out a way how to do it. It doesn't seem all that unlikely now. Mm-hmm. And so it was a bad argument to begin with. And I'm, with it being a bad argument to begin with, mm-hmm. I'm kind of okay with that. Okay. Like if it, in the end, if it turns out that consciousness is really easy to get, mm-hmm. it will turn out that my argument was bad. Right, okay. But I don't think we should think that the argument is currently bad. Yeah. Um, because, but I think a lot of God of the Gaps type arguments try and say, as soon as you say that, yeah. it's open to empirical sort of refutation. Right. It's a bad argument. 
And one of the ways that I like to think about this is kind of with the, the petrol-diesel scandal mm. um, or with how how bad or good they are for the environment. Okay. So it used to be thought that, like, diesel cars were really good for the environment. And so our government made, like, it easier and cheaper to buy diesel cars mm-hmm. um, to promote, like, goodness to the environment. Right. And then a few years ago, we discovered that those re- those reasons were bad. Oh, gosh. Like, okay, yeah. And that actually petrol cars are better for the environment overall than diesel cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got these new scientific reasons for thinking, look, petrol cars are better. But it could turn out in the future again that those, those reasons just weren't as good. Right. And maybe diesel cars become better again. And we have scientific reasons to think right. that. Now, in each of these cases, I don't think you should think that the arguments, at least at the time of mm-hmm. you sort of coming up with them right. and acting on them, were bad arguments. Yeah. So the diesel cars initially, we had good scientific arguments to mm-hmm. think that. It just turned out that some of the premises in the future, they were false. Right. And then we've got this new argument at the moment for petrol being better, and we've got this scientific data for it. And it's a good argument. Mm-hmm. But it could turn out in the future that one of them is false. Right. And I kind of want to say something similar with this type of argument. Right. Like, at the moment, I think that our empirical discovery makes it um, less likely mm-hmm. that we have consciousness on atheism. But it could be in the future, right. after more sort of work right. and discovery, yeah. that consciousness actually is really easy yeah. on atheism. Equally, it could be the reverse, right? right. It could be that we, we try and try and try, mm-hmm. your AI friends keep going... And eventually they're like, God, we can't we right. can make neither heads or tails of this. Yeah. And then my argument kind of is like, yippee. I yeah, it comes back better. as like, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think that we base it where we're at at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the future will determine right. how good or bad the argument is. Yeah. But I think saying, look, it could be open to empirical sort of disproving. Yeah. As the God of the Gaps type arguments do yeah i think that's a bad type of a response right because it always depends on what the evidence is yeah and well i think it was bradley Martin. Uh, he's looking at some different metaphysical theories and he's like what should we say about our metaphysical theories based on contemporary physics and he was like we shouldn't say anything uh because history of science is littered with all sorts of false theories and we don't know which one's going to be the right one so we have to do the best we can with the current evidence and always be open to revising but yep. what kind of bet do i want to make on what the right scientific theory is going to be yeah well i'm not going to make that bet yeah yeah so i guess you could do something similar here and say on the evidence i have right now this is a pretty decent argument exactly yeah yep. okay well thank you very much this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation today no problem And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for episodes on robot squids, classical theism, and so much more.